everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Monday night, we are back with one trophy in the bag. A lot to talk about from the weekends. Uh, so, we'll, but we'll get to the important stuff first, uh, which is the weather update around the U.S. over here. Uh, so, uh, I'm your host as always, Timushin here in Chicago, where early spring is here, as Bickler would love to hear. Uh, but yeah, uh, unfortunately, we're gonna get some snow. Uh, but we got like ridiculous snow in like six hours here the other night, and then it was gone instantly. But I am loving it. This is the kind of winter that we all wish we had on a regular basis. Galley is with us as always. Well, Galley, what's happening? You, you can keep that snow that's coming to you in the Midwest in the Midwest. I'd rather not have any here in the Northeast. But I will say this: went to a birthday party yesterday uh, for my great nephew, which makes me really freaking old. Yes. I have a great nephew because my niece had a baby just to make me feel even older. And well, we need some kind of like an organization chart over here. How do you have a great nephew? Uh, my niece had a baby and therefore it makes me a great uncle. Damn, you are old. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, but but what, what ends up happening is, is that means I hang out with my nieces and I made a comment. Like I, I asked my niece who lives in Philadelphia now, like, What's the weather like down there? Like I was making small talk. It was a random ass conversation. And my 16 year old niece turned around and said, Uncle Chris, you are too young to be asking people about the weather. What in the hell is wrong with you? And I thought to myself, shit, I hope she never listens to the first five minutes of the podcast. And she realizes I give weather updates to people in Texas like they give a shit. Yeah, from like the, oh, my cool uncle has a podcast <laughs> on YouTube to where he talks about weather for like five minutes while she chooses. Okay. Uh, Bigger is here with us, who is always cool as can be. What's up? Yeah, this is just the virtual like version of us sitting outside on a porch with our grills yelling at each other across the fences, <laughs> right? Like, I feel like this is just. This is just that version of this. Uh, yeah, it's good here. It's doing that thing it does in the spring where it reminds you that the weather is warming up for like two and a half hours. It gets really nice. And then on either end of it, it's just cold. So um, we're getting a little bit of a tease for warmer weather. It's coming. Um, and we'll be all excited about that for like five minutes until there's an explosion of pollen and then everybody's sick. Uh, yeah, not looking forward to that crap, actually. Uh, but hey, I can't complain. It is what it is. Uh, but you know what is what is trivia over here. Let's start with that before we get to the all the trophy talk and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so this is regarding trophies. Uh, so BJ has given up on you guys. Actually, I think Bickler nailed it the other day, but he did make it slightly easier. It's almost like multiple choice-ish. I'm going to give you guys five teams, which one of them, and all these five teams are currently in the Premier League, which one of them has won the League Cup at least once? West Ham, Newcastle, Everton, Lutontown, Brighton. Bickler. Let's Run them down it. again. I knew this was gonna happen. West <laughs> West Ham, Newcastle, Everton, Luton Town, Brighton. And the question is how many like one of these of them have won the League Cup? Which one? Uh I'll go West Ham. I don't think it's right. Gally. I 
I, I saw there was an answer came in the chat. I'm not going to guess that. Uh, Kazi said Luton Town. He's probably right because he's from England and would probably know better than me. I'm going to say it was Newcastle because I thought that was the one trophy they won years and years ago. Kazi is correct. Off by a year, actually. 87, okay. 88 season. Luton Town won it. Won it. Brighton have never has never made it to a final. Uh, the other guys, West Ham, Newcastle, and Everton have lost two cup finals each, which, okay, let's do a rebound. You know, this is our chance for you when guys. You started answering, when you started asking that question, I thought for <laughs> sure one of the answers was going to be Birmingham and I was going to nail it. <laughs> just just waiting for it, but it never came. Okay, here's a chance to bounce back. Um it's not multiple choice this time, but which club has the most losses in League Cup finals? You guys might have actually, this was on the broadcast, so I didn't catch this on the broadcast, but obviously BJ has it written out and spelled out for me over here. I I would just assume, I'm going to guess Chelsea, but I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> I mean, Chelsea, yeah, I would just They've lost two now in the last well. couple of years. I would guess Chelsea as well because I remember like three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, they're like playing really hard to catch up. Uh, Arsenal is leading the gang uh, okay. with six, uh, and then um, Tottenham obviously uh, would be another like easy guess for like you know not winning anything and winning losing in the yeah. final. They have five, and now Chelsea has five. Moving on up uh, in the world, but Arsenal does have six. G give Chelsea another couple of years, I'm sure they'll uh, catch and beat them at most. So. Obviously, a huge game yesterday. We did talk a lot about it in the post-match and some this morning as well. But I know we were talking about it in our, like, in the Discord channel as well, which I will shoot the link because I know we keep talking about it. And I know this morning I shared it and uh, a couple of people just hopped on because they had not seen the invite before. I'm throwing that in the comments as we speak. But, Bickler, you mentioned it as well because Klopp said in this post-match conference that, and obviously that was when the, Feelings are fresh and he's in the high of the moment and stuff that this was probably his like biggest, like the most important trophy win. I can't remember the exact verbiage he used, but I know you said this is probably the best coaching or managerial job he's done winning a trophy. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's because like it, it's, it encapsulates what Jurgen is to like as a manager in one single snapshot. Like if you were going to say, what does this manager mean in one single snapshot? This would be it because he starts a relatively senior side missing its major pieces. And it functions the same way that it would, if it had all starting 11, like in form and function, then you rip out any sort of seniority and you replace it with essentially nine Academy kids into the squad. And it still functions the same way. Do you know what I mean? And like, I think that is, when you talk about your game, like what, what Klopp has done from a managerial standpoint is not only has he's built an identifiable brand of football with a very specific system, but he's created a culture and a mindset. And I think like, I think what stood out to me about that game was like, it was everything that he is like he, we didn't, we didn't do anything outside of like Chelsea got beat on mentality. They didn't get beat on tactics. Yeah. And I think that's what Jurgen Klopp does. Like he'll beat you with the mentality. And I think that's super, super special. And I think it's almost harder to replicate than some of the things that managers do tactically. But for me, like that was the big difference in this game and what made it 
super, super special was just the fact that like you strip it down and like the reason that that game was so important was because I felt like football won. Like I, I felt like it, it meant that like you can't put out a side with like you can't put a billion dollar squad out and just run a team off the pitch. Like I think it proved that like sometimes mentality in like uniformity in a hundred percent buy-in for one goal for one team can beat a collection of superstars. Like, and, and I don't like, I think we're getting to a point where money's in football where that's becoming more harder and harder to do. Yeah, I think the fact that it's it is Chelsea, I think, right? It gives that feeling. If it's like Chelsea or City or something like that, I think if you did it against, I mean, mind you, every freaking Premier League club has big time money rolling on, but especially in the Chelsea example, yeah, I agree. It just showed that you know, system and the drive and everything like that is a lot more important than just making like an NBA all-star team and just getting like a bunch of people paying a lot of money and like trying them out there. Uh, Gally, like what is your take from the game? Obviously, you know, if a lot of Liverpool haters or, you know, obviously if you're a Chelsea fan, not Chelsea fan, I should say, like Pochettino or Chelsea apologists, I should say, were trying to point out that they had a young team and stuff like that. But the money that's spent on that team doesn't even compare to what we put out out there. Is it more tactical? Is it more emotional? Like, where do you give the credit to that win? So, I, I first off, I give the credit to the players. And I think they're, they, I think in all of this, from Kazi's comments to Paul's sentiments to Klopp's amazing performance, I think somewhat's getting lost here is that a bunch of players who are not all first teamers, some are on the fringe of the first team, some are fighting for first team spots, Gakpo, Endo, guys yeah. that have, you know, put themselves out there, even Bradley recently, right? Like guys that are trying to say, hey, I belong in this first 11. They put in really great performances, including a keeper who once again in a big moment showed up and showed he was ready for the big stage. That save in the first half on Nicholas Jackson is world class. That is the type of save that we revel over when Allison makes. And then we talk about it hours after the match about like, don't forget in the first half, what if his strong left arm doesn't keep that ball out? And cause it also instilled the confidence. And I think that kind of started to, cause that was against the run of play, right? And I think there were multiple times in that first half against the run of play, Chelsea had opportunities to creep into the match. We never allowed that to, to, to set in. And I think it was Kazi or someone talked earlier in the comments because we had a lot of great comments coming in and keep your comments coming through and we'll bring them up on screen throughout the show. The, it was all you heard about all week long was all the injuries. And then to lose Gravenberch and lose your only senior midfielder and literally bring in a fullback and move your backup right back to right wing where in 84 in a cup final, I think it just, and for them to not skip a beat and for the team to just gel and be like, we know what we have to do and then get into the second half. And we'll talk about the bringing on of the kids and maybe some of the tactics and how Van Dyke led this side. But I just think this speaks so much to the players to the makeup inside the dressing room, to everyone at the club, including the guys who recruit them, to the guys who do their homework with these young kids, like on the weekends to help them get through school. Everybody helped this one. 
and like this probably is like this one felt like it was the most representation of the entire club and i know it's the mickey mouse cup but i think it's gonna mean an awful lot to these guys over the long run it's just what a great day for the club yeah, I mean, I think it shows also, if anything else, you know, you look at that, you know, like the picture they were taking at the end with all these kids. And I think there's like seven or eight of them that came from the academy. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, for these kids to perform as they are, obviously they have to be good players. They have to be special young people to be out there in terms of makeup, in terms of work ethic and all that kind of stuff. But I think it also helps to be growing up within that system and playing the way they've been playing. So when he's plugged into that spot, he's playing and he knows exactly where to be and stuff like that because they're being thrown into a situation where I don't care what Klopp says, how hard he hugs you and all that kind of stuff and who you know who's standing next to you, Van Dyke and stuff, the nerves are going to be there. The nerves are there for like pro players who've been there before. So it's going to be them, but I think it still makes it a lot easier for them to cope Um and just deal with that as opposed to also worry about where to be, what to do. I've never done this before and stuff like that. I thought, I think that speaks volumes. I, not a lot of clubs can duplicate that because you need that consistency throughout your youth teams and stuff. But having said that, Bickler, at the same time, you look at it, and I don't know, we've probably all been in a similar situation where you look at Van Dyke and Endo and McAllister and those guys. You see these young guys coming in. I think it speaks volumes of the unity or how those practices go. Because it's very easy to say, you got to be shitting me. Like, as these like, kids are going in, and normally that would be the reaction. But they just felt like, I mean, I guess that goes to Klopp's team building where it's just just other players coming in, not necessarily kids. It does. And I, I think this is this is what happens when you get – when you have a squad with like six international captains, right? You get this sort of like, you get this level of like mentorship. I don't know that you get normally. And I think, you know, we considered that so big for like, and uh, for uh, like Milner and Hendo when they're in the squad, in the squad. Right. And now I think really that's kind of been passed down. And I think you're seeing a lot of that from Verge and Robbo right now, but like, as an academy, does it get any better than to see on live national television across the world? You're winning a major comp trophy and you have nine academy kids taking a picture together with the trophy. Like, does it get better than that as an academy? Like, I don't like for me, like I put that shit up above the door before you walk in in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know if it gets any better for like for like a club in, for, at an academy level. I do think if I were Inglethorpe, I would have been literally, I might have to steal a phrase from Kazi. Like it didn't take Joe Gomez to score. If I'm Alex Inglethorpe, I might be stripping it naked and going right into the crowd when that photo comes out, because those are my kids. That's my academy. The kids yeah. I groomed, I've brought up, I've coached who are now prepared to do great things at the top level. And I mean, when you think about it, there's other players from the academy littered into this side as well. I mean, Kai Gordon didn't even make that bench. Like, <laughs> this is insane what's happening. And and you still have Doke on crutches, and you have other young talents coming through. Um, and it's just so refreshing. And they come in, and they just do the job, and they don't look overwhelmed. None of them looked deer in the headlights when they walked onto the pitch. You know, the dance kids out there doing stepovers and trying to take on players. It's just outstanding. Um, 
what a moment and uh to think they got to show up today celebrate a little bit even have a couple probably pops of bubbly with their buddies right had a little bit and most of them are probably going to get a start in the fa cup on wednesday which is even crazier but i know we'll get to that later we got more to talk about in this match yeah i mean that's the thing i i I think that was impressive. And I think that's where the continuity comes from. Like they didn't have the deer in headlights. So it's a lot easier to say, go out there and have fun, kid, do your thing. Because the moment is already big enough, but then at least you're comfortable in your skin in terms of like what you're doing out there. But going back to Van Dyke again, we talked a lot in the you know beginning of the season with, you know, Handogon and stuff like that. We're like, who should be captain? Who will be do doing a good job and stuff. And I know like until now, Bickler, we always saw Van Dyke more of a leader in terms of, like Handel was both, right? He was very vocal, but he would also lead by example and stuff like that. Same thing with Milner, but they were they were both very vocal on the pitch. We did not see that as much from Van Dyke normally, aside from like him constantly yelling at you know Robertson or something. But <laughs> I felt like this was a game where he was like he felt that he did have to this time. Maybe in the past he feels like I don't have to tell Mo. To get going, I don't have to tell you know McAllister to get going. I it almost seemed like a guy that knew he had to take charge on the pitch. Yeah, I, I feel like we've seen this for a while from him, and I feel like it's really sort of coincided with his form reemerging too. So maybe he needed that confidence to have that and get that back. But I think I feel like we've seen this for a while. Like I feel like we've seen a number of like iconic, like captain moments from him this year, starting with like, I think we had two, right? Like this final, obviously. And then I felt like the Luton goal was really like an iconic, like moment from a captain standpoint where this, this squad needed something to tilt the balance of that game. And he provided it. And I think, you know, him coming back into his elite form defensively, he is now an absolute like monster on set pieces. Like, uh, so I mean, he's clipping them in uh, offensively now. So there's a, a new dynamic to it. But yeah, his his emergence as a captain has definitely been huge for the side, and it's also happened right around the time too when we, you know, essentially we lost Mo for Africa and then the injury. So having that additional leadership, obviously. Um, has been really important for the squad, but I think it's been as important for him as anyone. Like, I think it's, yeah. I, I think that that has given him almost some sort of like rudder um, as he's kind of climbed out of his funk and in, in, in this kind of like poor form that he's been in for the greater half of like almost a year. Um, so I, I think it's been mutually beneficial, I, but I really do think it's closely related to his form. Yeah, that's hard to do as well. Like, you know, to from his position, it's a lot harder to do, I think, especially for like somebody not vocal to impact the game that much. I I almost feel like as a striker, you can pressure the ball midfield, you put in a hard tackle and stuff like that and can get everybody going. It feels like it's a lot easier than, you know, what he's doing as a center back. And like he's been extremely influential. Going back to obviously other influential club. So he was talking, Gally, about, you, you know, when you watch the game towards the end, we were not even winning yet. And there's like a shot of Klopp and he's just watching like, you know, like a dad watching his kids out there. Like there's like, you can see like the joy and the pride of seeing whatever you're seeing out there. I mean, is that because he's basically seeing these guys since they were freaking kids because they grew up in the Academy while he is there. That's why it almost feels like, 
this trophy is like a great like cherry on top in some ways this season's trophies especially this one because it's not only the stars but it's like what else he's done as a club yeah i mean let's think about it like some of these kids were 10 to 12 years old when he showed up at the club if they were there the other ones he purchased and helped bring in and help recruit and he's helped groom them through and he's heard about them and he's watched them right like we, we've heard about how pep linders was in his ear talking about bradley years ago when he was down at the under 23s coaching that side telling him about this town so like we've heard all these quotes so i think when Klopp gets to stand there on the on the touchline and literally see these young kids some of which were 10 12 year old little you know little dudes running around not knowing how to put their shin guards on right right and like and like not really understanding the gravity of playing for that club or what they were doing and now they're like young men at Wembley you know celebrating with Virgil van Dyke and and grown men for winning an accomplishment like Harry Kane has been playing his entire illustrious career to get a winner's medal and the young Dan's kid was on the pitch to celebrate like with other grown men at Wembley stadium. Like there are players that never get this their whole career. The players will never get to and, Wembley. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, just, the, just the idea of it. Right. So I just think that, I think that's what Klopp was watching. But I said this to Paul when we were doing our, our Premier league show and we talked a little bit about this final, you know, I just thought it was so cool. Klopp, he had no reservations. Like he didn't even think about it. He was like, Nope, I can't run these guys into the ground. I got a bunch of teenagers on the bench. I'm bringing them in. The game's nothing, nothing. We're going to go to penalties and I'm going to make a bunch of these kids take the biggest kick of their life at Wembley stadium. And I don't care. Cause I believe they'll do it and I bet they'll win. And I'm happy we didn't go to penalties, but there was a little bit of me that wanted to see those kids because I got a feeling those kids were going to all step up and just bang penalties, and Caicedo was going to hit the ball to West London. Yeah, I mean, like, we just... talked about it in the pre-match even, like, is it a good or a bad thing that, you know, we, if the game keeps going, we knew, especially since we played, like, what, three, four days ago, that we would have to use subs, and they would have to be the kids. That would it be a plus or a minus for them? Would it be, like, no pressure so they can just step up and take the penalty? Or would they overstress because they're freaking 18 and they got also homework to finish at night? But, uh, Bickler, you got three boys. Uh, during the times, they're not driving no you nuts. Uh, but, I mean... Okay, like when you have, you know, like I got the, the two girls and, you know, there are you're always proud of your kids. But there are certain things because I know like Klopp mentioned something about, you know, like being I wish I was proud more often. I think what he was trying to say was there are times you're always proud of your kids. Right. But then they do something that you're like you glow about in terms of pride. I mean, whether it's something on the soccer pitch they're doing it's somehow like how they stand up for themselves or how they respond to the situation and stuff and you kind of like say well i'm doing good man like you know as a as parenting we're, this kid is going the right way kind of thing and it just felt like Klopp as he was watching like that's the feeling he was getting you're always proud of the kids but there are certain things you look at what do you think that he's seeing out there is it just the calmness is it just the performance or just the result what is it you think <laughs> I think part of it is if you're 125 minutes into a football game, the last thing you want to see is a teenager coming on. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, my old ass would be dead. I'd be like, I mean, 
So I think, you know, when you basically substitute five teens on, I mean, if, if there's anything like for whatever you're sacrificing in quality, you're gaining in just energy. Right. Like, and I think that was like so huge. Right. Because like they didn't have to get all the passes. Right. There was some veteran leadership around there, but the framework was created in which they could make those mistakes and safety and numbers. And essentially it created this perfect storm where they almost, you could almost see these kids grow up within five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes as that match grew. And I think that was what was so special about it is like you got to see not only a defining moment for this club and these kids, but you got to see these kids sort of grow up in a really abbreviated kind of weird window of time. Yeah, I mean that you could tell just like in his face, like the like the pride overall of like seeing like what's happening out there and like how they're responding to the situation. And yeah, my brother who he missed like the beginning of the game because I when we when that goal got this a lot, which we'll talk about a little bit here. Uh, I was like, I, you know, I was cussing out a storm on WhatsApp. Luckily, it's Turkish, so I can see it over here, probably. But, um, and he was like, What is going on? And I was like, The funny, he's like, Oh, shit, I forgot about that. But then he went in overtime and he was actually telling me, like, when I was young, because I was young at one point, uh, and he's like seven years older than I am, but I always hung out with his friends and like I played soccer with him and stuff. So I would be like, you know, 13, 14, 15, and I would go play with them. They're like 22, 23. And, you know, yeah, I'm like this kid who is nonstop energy where he was like, this reminds me of like when you used to come with us and play like indoor because they're like, you know, they're only 22, 23, but they've just drank beer or something like that. They're like, dude, relax. This kid doesn't freaking stop. Like they're constantly (laughs) running around. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what it looks like because it just you could see the energy, but it wasn't like misguided energy like mine was. Whereas I was pressing by myself, running from one guy to another like an idiot just to show that, you know, I have like effort. It wasn't misguided energy. It was actually productive energy. Let's get to that goal real quick. What do you make of that call overall? Yeah. The disallow goal. I'm sorry. I think it was horseshit. I think it was a terrible call. I, I'm still trying to get an understanding of it. I was with an official, a college official, and he was kind of confused and then he read a thing and he's like wait if they're saying like endo is in an offside position and then blocks the runner off like they kind of muffed it twice on the broadcast because at one point they said it was because he was in an offside position therefore the foul gets called and then afterwards they said it was just for the foul in the buildup. to me i thought mark clattenberg got it right in one of his analysis he has every right to the space. There's absolutely no reason for him to have to move in that situation. It is nowhere near enough contact to have a clear and obvious error chalk a goal off. And for that to happen in a cup final made it feel like the referee was looking for the easy way out. And I give Clattenburg credit for saying, and he's one of the people who's against VAR and has been since the beginning, because his point was it would stop officials from making the tough calls in live time. And I feel like in that case, Kavanaugh doesn't make that call, hoping VAR will bail him out. And then when they do, it's easy as soon as they tell him to go to the monitor. I think it was an absolutely terrible call. It it makes no sense. And that's the thing, honestly, I mean, I was talking about it this morning to Matush. Ever since VAR, you know, when the goal happens, before we run to snacks with the boys, uh, we kind of wait 
for VAR, you know, Stitch knows, he knows the VAR implementation. Leo is still not getting the hang of it. He's like, people are yelling on the screen. It must be kind of like a snack time kind of a deal. But I stopped because I, you know, any of those balls, sometimes, you know, the runner goes early and stuff like that. I did not see an offside. So we actually went to the snack bowl and I was passing out snacks because, and that's why I think of all people I heard Goldbridge, I was listening to like his that's football thing. He even said Bickler, and this is, I think, a good way to look at it. If you're not seeing it, don't go looking for it. Because I don't think any Chelsea fan even looked at that and said, hey, there's a foul over there. Nobody looked at it. I guarantee you. You know know why neither player actually made a play on the ball? Correct. Yeah. Coel didn't even look interested in what was happening. Like he, there was no, there was no attempt to get anywhere near it. And that's my problem with it. I understand the rule. Uh, you know, like I understand the rule, but like the, the fact of the matter is it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter if he's coming from an offside position or not, because he's not, he's not purposely blocking the run of play. He's like, if you watch him, he doesn't get out of the way, but he doesn't like, he doesn't hold Colwell back. Like I just and and that's like what you said at the beginning is so true. Like I feel like I feel like with VAR, we're looking for ways to take goals out of games. And like A, that's not good for the sport. And B, like if you look at the history of any law that was ever created for football, it was like the spirit of those rules has gotten lost so much in our like obsession with making rules abstract, right? Yeah. Uh, and like like for me, it's like it's like how how we've gotten this like offsides rule thing down to a line of millimeters, right? Where the original rule was just created so that an attacking player didn't have an unfair advantage, right? Yep. Like we we completely lose that, and we're now down to like millimeters, right? Like I just think that like we're losing this game like a rule at a time as we try to kind of redefine all the and redraw these lines, and yeah, like for me, it's like that's the thing is like why are we even looking at that? The player didn't like remonstrate. He wasn't asking for anything because he didn't expect anything. Like, and so like, I just don't know, like it, it, to me, it's just crazy. It's crazy that we're actively looking for a way to make the game worse by taking goals out of it. And that's the thing. Cause you know, like I say, even my brother who wouldn't want like Liverpool to score, uh, he was like, dude, that was like five years ago. That was passive offside. And you, it wouldn't even like think about it. Right. He's like, I thought we were trying to increase the scoring, not like illuminate scoring. And it almost right. like they're going out of the way. And I know what Liverpool 12 man is saying. If you go by the rule and then, yes, he's in front of the guy and he does kind of look at him, but it's not like he kind of like leans over that way. That's a, even a good block in basketball. Uh, but I mean, we see it just today in the game, in the West Ham game. How many times do you see where three people are lined up inside the box before the ball is even kicked? And some of them come back. Some of them stay just to be able to set that screen or deceive and stuff like that. They never look at that. And I think that was the biggest thing for me, Gally, is the fact that they were like, you know what? This time, let's look at this. I don't even know why they would go out of their way. Or is, I mean, I know Klopp had a lot of fine words to say afterwards and he wasn't like you know one way or the other he felt like he wasn't like Kavanaugh was really not up to his level of refereeing was just not up to the level of the game on the pitch yeah and I mean I listen I've seen every referee in this league have really stinkers I've seen a lot of bad refs have good matches we watched Tierney a couple weeks back and we were all 
you know, wooing in Discord about how great he was handling the match and how well he was officiating it. So I think they have good days and bad days like anybody. I don't think yesterday was a good day for Chris Cavanaugh. He's not one of my favorite officials. I don't think he's the worst official. So, you know, it could have been a lot worse, to be honest. I could think of five, six off the top of my rip that I could rip off. That would be so much worse if they were in the match. So um, I thought that this was an example of exactly what you're talking about. They looked for an opportunity to chalk off the goal. That's what VAR was supposed to be the opposite of. VAR was supposed to be here to stop egregious mistakes and to stop like goals that were taken away when they were really on sides. It wasn't supposed to be to find fouls in buildup. And if you keep rewatching enough tape, you will find something to tell you there was a problem. We it got to the point where we were all sitting around in the pub at first and we couldn't hear and someone's like wow this taking a while but like they didn't bring up the var logo like so you didn't really know it was a var decision and i'm like they must be i actually said it joking i'm like they must be trying to find a reason why this goal won't stand and then a guy goes my buddy just texted there's a var review going on i'm like are you shitting me get the <laughs> out of here what could this be you watch it three times in live speed you don't see anything yeah and then afterwards you're like wait are they calling a he's not upset what he doesn't touch the what? and i think that's yeah. what gets to me the most i specifically freaking waited and watched the replay stitch is over there waiting leo is over there waiting we're watching yeah. it we're like stitch is like dude he's on let's go and i'm like yes he's on let's go and then we pass out the snacks and you can't make him barf it out afterwards it's bad mojo it's you know creating just, trust issues it. with you and the dogs <laughs> but but i will say to paul's point and we and i don't disagree we could rewrite the laws and get away from the millimeters but yesterday we needed the millimeters because if it wasn't for the millimeters we're down one nothing so it was kind of a good thing we had the millimeters and the thin red line in the first half or we not only are behind one nothing and i did say a few times like that match changes drastically if liverpool conceded the first goal which is why i thought kelleher's save in the first half was so immense um we couldn't go down one nothing in my opinion and come back and win that match i think it would have been too much to ask with the bench and the injury to Gravenberch and all that stuff i would have hated to see that um but how much worse would it have been if we had to go down one nothing and it's raheem sterling celebrating that would have been five yeah. times worse so it was it was never did i ever wait for someone uh i almost envisioned it was like sterling was almost like the dogs waiting for the end of the VAR review just to be let down to realize it wasn't a goal. And then his shoulders shunk and kind of strummed off. So yeah, it was, it was those millimeters were needed yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I felt the same way. I mean, we fell behind. I know, you know, they don't have the best finishers, but when they're a bit more comfortable having oiled the lead, suddenly those counters could have been more effective too. But speaking of like game changers, here's another one, not to mention another player that's injured out of the so the third guy is gone again. There's nobody there. Like Ando is gonna be like basically rolled out there every day. It's looking like uh the Kaiser challenge. What did you make of that one, Beckler? I mean, like it's been called all year, you know? Yeah, and that's it's been called all year. So like, I don't like, I don't know how you go from being called all year to no card, it, like not even a yellow. Um, I know that it's the contacts low, but I still think they've shown all year that if you're second 
if, if you're second to the ball and you get any part of anybody studs facing, it's generally been a straight ride all year. So, um, I mean, personally for me, I, based on how, the way it's been being called, I, I don't know why, I don't know how you don't get to a red there. I don't. I, yeah, I, it was – for them to not even give a foul on that one is just, like, mind-boggling. And I guess that was part of the explanation of, like, why they didn't go back, which that doesn't make sense either because they were like, yeah, I mean, Jones was a straight red even though he was going off a ball and everything. So if it's there, if they're looking at the end result, which is what happened with Jones, right? He went to the screen yeah. and you looked at that image because we were like, show the whole thing like that is coming off the ball and stuff. You went and gave the red card. How that wasn't a red card. And I think, you know, all these little things just made it even sweeter. And then you put the kids on top and you're like, ah, oh, this does not get any better than this. But talking about that, I thought watching that yesterday, you saw a totally different club galley um, to the point where everybody was like, oh, is he going to change his mind now and stuff like that? But I felt like it was the fact that he is leaving, actually. You saw a totally different up in the celebrations and stuff like that usually he's not as involved and i know he said van dyke wanted him up there to lift the trophy and stuff with but even during the celebrations he was over the top compared to the club that we're normally used to yeah i i i think this is a lot i think one this i think this trophy felt different because all the kids were there and and there was so much leading up to it like if we think that like there's a lot of preparation in a normal match week, just a normal match, right? They put in hours and hours of match work and prep work. Imagine a cup final and then imagine one where you're starting six non first team 11 and, and you're preparing six guys to make debuts. Like he had guys on benches that had never played. Like they didn't even understand it. They had they, like the Neoni kid was wondering, am I going to make my first professional appearance at Wembley? Like in the back of his mind, that kid had to be thinking that. And then he was probably like, and how many subs and injuries does it take for me to actually get to play today? And then he realized there was a better chance Adrian was coming in than he was. Um <laughs> But I, I do think it was a little bit, and I think there's a lot to your point. I think the fact that he's going, I think he's counting it down. People at Dortmund remember that there was a different Jurgen Klopp after he announced he would be leaving Dortmund at the end of the season for those last three months of the year. He kind of lets his guard down. He becomes more emotionally connected to the crowd every match, which is why we're seeing more fist bumps. It's why we're seeing, like, honest quotes and i know we've had some in some of our graphics that are being shared on social media where like when they asked him about the arteta thing and he's like i didn't create the fist pump i don't really give a shit and you can quote me on that like he's just swearing in press conferences he's calling reporters idiots he's like you know that is kind of a stupid thing to ask like he's just ripping on people because he knows it's like anyone else it's it would be like if me or paul knew we had three and a half months left at our current employer and never gonna have to deal with these fucking people again it would be like the scene in half baked it would be like f you f you f you you're cool f you i'm out like and that's what Klopp's doing he's basically just giving it to the business he's giving the business to everyone and i think he's also giving it to all the people who called him too eccentric and too boisterous like let us win this league you will see a celebration like like you have never seen he'll be throwing it in people's faces that he came here and won two i told you i'd win multiple premier leagues i genuinely think it like 
this is the man deserves a victory lap as long as he wants to take it. And, you know, I'll be it for Jurgen to uh, hold a good show. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because that's what even like as we were watching it, like with Angie, I actually mentioned it to her. Uh, I mean, Bickler, you work retail, so you can kind of like uh, probably relate to this. I mean, I ran, you know, before I'm doing, you know, like my own business thing. I was like in retail forever. I ran like a Menard store. It's it's very stressful, like not only the hours, but, you know, you're in charge of 200 people and, you you know, we were in the city and stuff like that. There's a lot going on and it was very stressful. And towards the end, I hated it with a passion, just like overall, just the stress levels and everything like that. I was like done with it. But there are a lot of enjoyable parts of the job. Like as a manager, like, you know, the leader of men thing, you're in charge of 20 people, you're building careers, you hire this guy as part-time. Next thing you know, he's like a store manager over here making like six digits and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff. As I watched him, I was telling Angel, I'm like, hey, this is, looks like once I knew I was leaving, like I was like going to leave in like a month and a half, exactly what Gal was saying. I was going to be leaving. So I didn't even put in my two weeks yet, but I, up here, I'm as Kramer would say, I'm already gone. And I knew like I was going to leave. And I really started to enjoy the enjoyable parts a lot more. It feels like when the stress is there, even those little moments that you would enjoy, you kind of like, you know, being in charge on the responsibility, you're thinking of the next obstacle, next obstacle and stuff like that. And maybe you don't stop and enjoy. Like if I went back now, I would enjoy certain things a lot more because I realized their value afterwards. To me, because everybody was getting excited that like, hey, maybe if he has this much fun, he'll stay, but I think he's having this much fun because he's leaving. Oh, for sure. And I think for anyone who lives their job, right? Like you really live your job. You're so, you're so tied to your work stress and anxiety about your future. If you're not worried about your future, you can enjoy the present. Right. And I think yeah. that's like that's essentially what we're seeing, yeah. right? Like he's not, he doesn't have to worry about what this looks like, like next year. He doesn't have to worry about what, like, the conversation with Mo in the summer. He doesn't have to like, you know, like those things, like he is like going to get to spend time with his family. He's going to get to see his grandkids. He's going to get to do all the things that he wanted to do when he wanted to take a break. And, you know, like, I think when you're not worried about that, you can step back and I think you get a different perspective of things too. So I think, you know, yeah. like you get a more holistic view of it. And I think he's probably just really enjoying looking back at the journey, thinking about when he came and he was losing glasses because we were coming back against mighty Norwich. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in, and where this side is now, like it's a, it's, it's an incredible, incredible journey that he's, he's taken all of us on. And I think I, I'm glad for him that he gets a, a moment to actually have perspective on it without being in it. Right. Being in the fire. Yeah. That's actually like an, Look at Beckler to putting that. That's I think excellently put. Like the feeling of you know, like living it. Because I know you know you know these guys are. Because even in the the peaceful moment, you know, we do the game and afterwards, you know, you're like, okay. Uh, I mean, you're constantly the next step, next step. Any moments you have, you have a meeting about the summer and stuff, which is what he was talking about when he decided. He's like, yeah, I'm done with the shit. Time to quit and move on, kind of an ordeal. But yeah, it, it was really refreshing to see him. And as I saw him, I was like, ah, I get it. I get it exactly. And it was the same feeling when I watched this interview. I was like, ah, I get it, bro. I hear you, kind of thing. I was waiting for him to just literally go like right into the inner pocket and just pull out a cigarette and just light that shit right on the pitch. Cause you know, you know, as soon as he got home, he fired up 
he poured himself a big ass glass, walked outside and lit up a cigarette. I mean, every, every picture of this guy on holiday, every time he's on a boat anywhere, you know, dude's got a cigarette in his hand. Like, like, you know, so you just have to imagine at some point, he's just going to be like, you know, they've never gotten me in a Liverpool uniform hat, you know, training jumper. You've never had me firing down a marb medium. Like I was Mauricio Sarri on the edge of the pitch, you know, but like at some point, this guy's just going to fire up, like have a big old glass of red wine, like a big cigarette or a cigar in one hand and just like just sit there and like take it all in. And to Paul's point, he's got eight years. Like if you think about what he took, he took a side that had Ricky Lambert to one that won oh, everything, won everything across Europe. Like. Ali Sissoko, like, do you think of some of these players that he's had along the way, guys? Like, it's it's unreal to think, like, the heights that we've gotten to. So if we look back on it and revel in it, imagine what he's doing in the moment as he watches it literally start to, like, fade to black. And I think that's what's going to be really special and sad over the next three months. And I think we're going to see it in him too. Like, I think he's going to get emotionally, like there's going to be a moment in my opinion where we have like a bad loss or a bad performance and he seems petulant or is like frustrated or like, I don't want to say whiny, but I think that's how it'll come across. Cause I think he's going to be so disappointed because he just wants this to just, he wants this to end like a big Renaissance. Like he wants this to end like a never ending story. Cause I think in his mind, that's what it is. Um, and we just ended chapter one pretty in a pretty cool way. In my opinion. Yeah. See, it's odd that you say that I actually get the opposite feeling. I just get a guy kind of enjoying the ride regardless of what happens. And I think maybe this ensured that maybe that's why it means a lot more to him, Bickler, that this ensured that it wasn't ending with nothing. I feel like he's, Finally enjoying the ride as opposed to like he's finally sitting in the backseat chilling as opposed to like having to freaking pull the car, not even only drive it, but like pull the car all the way. Yeah, I I think he's probably I agree with both. I, I definitely think he is accepted. I think he's accepted the end and I think there is a sense of closure for him. I still do think that he is like tied to the idea of ending this thing with a quad winning side for the ages. I still do. Because I mean, in the reason I, I kind of agree with Gally where I think that he is really, really invested emotionally in like this storybook larger than life ending is because Klopp's a romantic. Like if you look at anything yeah. that he's done, you know what I mean? He, that's how he is. He's larger than life. He loves larger than life. He like, He's passionate. He's when he's angry, it's, it's larger than life anger. You know, when he's, when he loves somebody, it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable love. You know what I mean? Like he's intense. Like, and I think that like, so for me, like, I think that he probably does have these grand ways, uh, these, like these grand ideas of this, this phenomenal sort of historic ending. And I think, you know, it's just, it just may be crazy enough to happen, man. This side, like, We've seen some wins this year where, you know, he just feels a little bit of that, that old magic from, uh, 
from the year we won it were like just everything. You got to get some, you got to get some luck, man. You know, no matter how yeah. good the, your side is, you got to have some luck. And we've had the rub of it a couple times, right? Like we had that awful Tottenham match where everyone's like, if we don't win, we're always going to point back this match. Maybe we will. We've also had plenty of escapes and we've been far from our best. Um, and, and you just kind of wonder if this team is, is deep enough and has enough motivation because like, now there's young energy, there's young blood in, there's new blood in, and they're ticking. And, like, I think they've got to feel like a real investment in sending him out on a high. So it just may happen. You never know. And I think, you know, I was talking about this in the post-match yesterday, like watching that game yesterday, and I kind of get the same feeling with like Klopp's last season. You wanted to end well. I mean, it's a great story either freaking way. But you want it to end well. Like, as you watch those kids playing and stuff like that, if we concede that goal, it's similar to, I mean, it's funny that you brought the Tottenham game. That's what reminded me because that was the biggest disappointment of the Tottenham game for me was the fact that that fight and what they did with nine men deserved to get something out of it. Even if right. it's a point, it deserves something. And they got, you know, 100%. they didn't get it. That was so hard. And I feel like, you know, the same thing with Klopp season where, you know, it's a great story, whichever way it goes, but you kind of like, man, it deserves a very good ending. And so far, so good. And now step two comes in two days. Uh, I think uh, Dom was mentioning in the comments that if you can guess the lineup, he's, he wants lottery numbers. So that's going to be impossible until we get the press conference tomorrow, probably, Gally. But I guess my bigger question to you is this young energy that, you know, Bickler is talking about and all the, like this high of this win, does it help? Or is it almost a little bit too much of a high for a game coming literally three days after? I mean, I think if a bunch of kids get their first shot, I think you're going to get their best effort. They're getting a senior chance to play in the FA Cup for Liverpool. Like, that's a huge honor. And, and I don't think the kids are going to take it to light or be like, well, we won the League Cup on the weekend, so we don't have to play great today because – you know, they probably want another one of these chances in the future the next time there's an opportunity. That being said, I mean, it is going to be a tall, tall ass because it's one thing to come in and take a nil-nil game and watch your Colossus center back captain sky over everyone and score a game-winning header and you just get the win and you play a role in it. Don't get me wrong, but they all played 20, 30 minutes. This they're going to be asked to start. They're going to be asked to set the tone from the beginning, and they're going to be asked to play against grown men who wait all year long to play in big matches in the FA Cup against a club like Liverpool. Like This Southampton team is getting up for this. Those Chelsea guys, let's be real. They went into that match almost feeling like they had to win because they were playing a team that had a bunch of injuries and had a bunch of kids on the bench. So in some ways it was the, you know, I'll steal Gary Neville's line, right? It was the billion dollar bottlers against Jurgen's kids, right? Klopp's mm -hmm. kids versus the billion dollar bottlers. Well, on the other hand, this isn't that. This is Klopp's kids against a bunch of grown men who believe that they should be favorites and should go out there and win. And I, I kind of have a sneaky suspicion that if we send out a youth led team we might be taken to the sword in this one 
And that's the thing, because, I mean, obviously, it's impossible to predict a lot, but I think we can all assume, like, you know, you're not going to see Endo, who was walking normal, uh, at least, finally. I think that was more like precautionary leaving the stadium with a boot, but he was just walking around today. But you could, I mean, you could see the celebrations. He was hobbling, and you don't want somebody hobbling throughout the day, so they slapped a boot on him is what it looked like. But, I mean, you probably will not see Van Dyke, and, you know, you're not going to... How much do you want to risk, I guess, Bickler? You know... I mean, based on the celebrations, at least you can get something. I don't know if you'll start Nunez and Mo and stuff and almost go the other routes where your strength is up top. It felt like yeah. our strength going into this League Cup was more in the back line. Do you use the strength up top now? Because you're not going to have the veterans in the back. I probably would. I mean, but I've always been more in favor of putting out a strong lineup and trying to kill it in the first half than chasing it in the second half. But, like, I mean, then you get locked into, like, what happens if, you know, you, you put them all out there and then it's nil-nil at halftime. How long do you run them? Like, you know, and then, like, who do you – like, so it is – I see both sides of the coin. Personally, I would start strong with a, a stronger front three in this one. Um, I would try to clip in a few early ones and then see if you can bleed those guys out. How about you, Gally? Because what I, I mean, normally I think we're all have in the past said, you know, instead of like keeping the troops, you know, behind the hill, just like get them out there and then you can just like take them off and rest them. But in some ways, do you want to risk? I mean, it really depends on how ready these guys are, I guess, right? Because uh, we don't know, like, if they could have only given you 60 minutes, you didn't want to take the chance. Because I feel like you still don't want to, it's not the lead. This, this is not a final. There's still a lot to go in this FA Cup. And I maybe personally, if we had to give up on one of the three, this would be the one I would give up on and not risk a Mo Salah injury that's going to push him back another three weeks or something. I guess that's my thing is if Mo and Nunez weren't healthy enough to even make the bench yesterday, right? Then how? Which means they can't even how, give you 30, right? So if they can't give you 30 on Sunday, I don't think they should be playing in the FA Cup when you have Forest on the weekend and City the following week. And then the Europa League starting next week as well. Like, I, I just think, like, if you have to, there comes a point, you know, in the year where we went for the four, right? There came a point where something special has got to happen eventually with, like, a, a really weakened side. And you always got to have one of those big games. Remember the year we sent the kids down to play in the FA Cup game against Arsenal yep. is the 5-5 crazy ass draw. Um, and then we had the other time where we sent all the kids. All we the kids, World yes. Cup, And Villa beat us like 105 to nothing. <laughs> I think Grealish is still dancing on some eight-year-old kid. He was literally like like standing over kids. I was like, dude, Jackie, act like you've been there before. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I you know, I, I just don't think you can just throw it all. And I think it, the fact that Mo and Nunez couldn't even make the bench Makes me question whether or not they're viable. Diaz and Elliot both played 120 minutes. How much can they be asked to play? Yeah. Like, I don't want either of them starting. And and we're already down Gravenberch, and Jones isn't going to be back already. So, you know, you know, I maybe McAllister goes out there, but again, he played the whole time. Like, I think you start almost a youth side. Kwanzaa, Gomez, Bradley, Simicas, Kelleher. I think the strength is you hope that you play the best defense you have. You play the yeah, best I mean, defense and you try to win it. That's, Dom is rolling like, for the Lowry numbers himself. The only the people in there that, you know, like I don't think you can play Elliot 
after you know the shift he put in. I don't think you can play Diaz again. He could barely walk. I mean, I put Diaz and Endo and Van Dyke and uh, probably Elliot in the same category. But I do agree with. I think it was Shelton saying it earlier that you know maybe use these guys to give you 20 30 at the end regardless of the score it's kind of like what he did in the cup final pickler i mean regardless of the score you know those guys were tired you needed fresh legs so even if they were like 10 years old 15 years old 20 years old they were going to go in maybe you do it where you put them on the bench and you they go in, in the 70th minute regardless of what happens so they're ready to go against forest because clearly it's the more important game yeah, I think I think you're gonna see Salah and Nunez available. I think they were not. I mean, I think it's pretty common that we like see players not put on the bench because they don't trust Klopp not to use them type deal, right? Like I think we've seen that a lot. Like a lot of times, they we save save Klopp from himself. I feel like in that regard, so <laughs> well, Mo, he would have brought Mo on for Gravenberg. So let's not kid ourselves. Mo's on the bench. Mo's coming on for Gravenberg, just like he did in the Luton game or in the uh, in the Brentford game, and then got hurt. You can see it happen. Like when he went down, I'm sure Pep just like did that Mr. Burns look and was just like, "See, this is why." We... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the man. It, this is like really tricky. That's why I'm not even gonna ask you guys for a lineup or anything like that. But it is tradition. We had to do some kind of predictions on the way out over here. Do you think we find a way? This team seems to be finding a way, Gally. Do you think we find a way to advance to the next rounds? And this is probably why this draw is as good as it can be because you have at least you have the Enfield factor as well. I'm going to say uh, we get the victory somehow, hooker by crook. There's some special mood, you know, juju happening there. I'll say it's a kid's special, and I will. I'll give you a score. I'll say it's two to one, and uh, the Dan's kid gets himself on the score sheet with the winner. I Just because I really want to see that hair bouncing around in front of the cop. I just think it will be outstanding because that kid looks like he's a live wire. They look like they love him, and he scored a ton of goals on the uh, under-23 team. And one thing we've always said, at any level, if you can score goals, like if you can score goals, you're a different type of player, and I think that kid has that in his locker, and I think you can do that at any level. So if he gets an opportunity for himself, I hope he takes it. The dance kid for the win. This is a good question, by the way. And, you know, we talk it's a lot of good question. Shit. Why would anybody bring Adrian into the equation like it's a good question? You, you, you guys not remember the Atletico match? Do you not remember him throwing the ball to Valverde? I do. And it's the last thing I ever want to remember about him at Anfield. See, I, 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 I think Sorry. it's a legit question because I think that guy has also won trophies with us too. And I think, you know, we go back and we talk about – how these kids and stuff like that and unity and stuff like that, you have to understand and I think appreciate that there are some characters behind the scenes like him that are definitely a part of it and not just there because, you know, he hugs just as hard or something like that. So you're not putting him in goal at all. You're not even considering it. I think if anybody, you know, a goalie, you can probably try to get more minutes out of Dude, I'm not convinced he's not like the math tutor or whatever for like the academy kids, right? Like I mean listen, I'm, I'm not sure, sure he's doing a lot of math personally. I'm, I'm not sure he knows how to add. 
well, listen, I don't know what's going on. Maybe there's a Spanish immersion program. Like, I'm just saying, like, there's got to be some form and function, but we we can just let it be Keller's time. So what is your prediction then, Bickler? Uh, you know, I'll keep the clean sheet. I'll go 2-0. We win. But I like the lineup. I think it's going to be – it's got to be mostly academy kids. I, I think – I, I, you know, you fill an academy lineup and then with your substitutes, you can basically build out your spine with like veteran leadership on rested legs. Like that's what I do. I, I like the two one. You know what? What the hell? I, I'm not going to do the too much in special. Let's go with the two one. And I think we bring the troops in and kind of like close out the game that way. Like the kids keep it close. Uh, and then the troops come in like Mo and Nunez and stuff like that. And we, I don't know if they would be coming to change the game at that point or just like add on to it and run away with it. But I don't know. You look at that, like the, the back four that, you know, Dom made, I just don't see a clean sheet there. I'm sorry. Uh, just because not, not in terms of individuals, uh, but just mainly because of like playing together, like who is going to lead that back line. You're going to have Gomez basically in that back line. And I don't know if I, he's – I love Gomez. I'm his probably biggest defender, but I just don't know if he's cut for that role. I'd be more worried about the midfield than the back line. I was just going to say my bigger fear there of why the back line is probably in trouble is, is I can't tell you who's going to play in the midfield outside of McConnell. Right. And right. the fact that I don't even know the names, and um, that is kind of scary in itself. And it isn't, it isn't always what's going to help Gomez, right, if he's – literally got Simicas on the left of him. And I'm not sure that that helps any center back. I, was like, I don't know who that back. helps, but <laughs> I don't think that helps any center back um, when he is there as your left back. And I do think that that is your back line, but at least the senior players that we are playing, one of which wears number 84 and the other wears number 78, at least those senior players are in the defensive end of the pitch. <laughs> You guys think we see Mac at the six just to kind of babysit the midfield? Dude, that guy's got to be dead. I don't know how. I know. He came out, what, 80? Do you think they wheel him out for the start of the game? Like, he doesn't have to If anybody is wheeling out, it's being like, Ando. Like, like listen, dude, roll like, like, here's the deal, Mac. You don't have to stand during warm-ups. You can sit in the chair, and we'll just wheel you out there. <laughs> he, <laughs> like, he came out in the 87th minute along 87. with Jack Post. Like, they all played. They all played the whole damn match. Klopp was like, well, we're going to see what we can do. And they just kept rolling subs in. He's like, well, I used all six of my subs. They're like, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you did. You started using them on the 80-minute mark. But, I mean. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think that's what made this, like, win so, so freaking sweet, though. But, hey, one down, three to go. Let's hope on that, and let's hope for a win I'll uh, be back Wednesday. Obviously, we'll be here for the pre and post as well. And then we'll have the panel show on Wednesday. But hopefully, we'll be talking about yet another win in the post-match. Uh, as always, like, save, subscribe, hit all those buttons, except the one that has the thumbs down. All the other ones I think you can hit. And grab a friend by the ear, like as I always say, and drag him over to American Scouser. I know Connor right now on Instagram. By the way, if you thought, you know, while the show was on, like American Scouser was on about social media, I'm safe on Instagram. I'll hide over here. 
Uh, joke is on you because now we're on Instagram Live as well. So you can't hide over there. But yeah, if you're following us there, like Connor is today, uh, head on over to YouTube as well and give us a follow, subscribe there. Uh, a lot of new stuff coming up as well that we talked a lot about at the morning show. So new content coming your way. As always, thank you guys for your comments on your sports. Have an excellent, excellent week. I'm assuming everybody's still celebrating, but you got to Wednesday and then we need everybody back. All hands on deck again on Wednesday. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, we'll see you guys later. Take care.